Thank you, ladies. As I mentioned this morning, we are privileged to uh, have been placed uh, in America by God. Uh, we have a lot of problems here, uh, but we're free to speak up about them and free to try to make them better. And I thank God for that. There's a lot of things could stand to be better, uh, but there's a lot of things that are good too. Amen? Should be in your Bible. If you would, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Um, always, and I guess every once in a while I remind our people about this, I prepare my lessons long before I know who shows up, and so um, this is a message I prepared, had no idea who would be here, and so if you're here, this is for you. Uh, I didn't plan it because of you. Um, you're welcome to my notes afterwards. I'm just going to preach what the Lord put on my heart, or I should say more accurately, teach Isaiah chapter 11. For more than a year of Sunday nights, we have been talking about Bible doctrine. And the word doctrine, of course, just means teaching. Uh, Bible doctrine is just another way of saying Bible teaching. Um, doctrine is the principles and foundational truths set forth in the Scriptures. Now, some Bible doctrines are hills worth dying on. Some Bible doctrines are hills worth fighting on but not dying on. Some Bible doctrine hills are nice to know and Good for those who know them, but they're not worth fighting about or dying on. And we have been talking both about key Bible doctrines and uh, some other teachings of the Bible as well. Uh, Paul exhorted Titus to model good works and, quote, in doctrine show uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. The author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13.9, Be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. Biblical doctrine has always been and will always be important to a healthy, stable, and balanced Christian life. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, we, we've been for quite some time uh, going sequentially through uh, end time issues. And a few weeks ago, we finished talking about the coming seven-year uh, tribulation. And then uh, we began three weeks ago tonight studying the future kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, a literal 1,000-year kingdom that will immediately follow the seven-year tribulation. It will be a time when Jesus himself literally reigns on earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. And in particular, as we've talked about this coming kingdom, we've been talking about the things that will characterize that com coming kingdom when Jesus reigns. We talked about how that kingdom will begin with only believing Jews and Gentiles. But as those thousand years go on and those people have their own children, some of those children will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and others will refuse to believe and they will refuse to come to Jerusalem to the Feast of Tabernacles bringing the judgment of the King. We talked about how Christ will rule a kingdom of external peace. Uh, there will be for the first time in human history a world peace uh, because for the first time in human history, there will be a foundation of truth for that peace and the strength to enforce that peace because Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. We talked about how that coming kingdom will be characterized by holiness and righteousness and justice as King Jesus judges and reproves with equity throughout the world in that coming future day. And the more we learn about this coming kingdom, the more... Uh, Every true believer uh, begins to long in their heart to see it. And we simply remind ourselves of the words 
of the Lord Jesus when He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now the quality of the kingdom is always linked to the quality of the king and those he appoints to rule and reign with him. Not only is the future coming kingdom reigned by Messiah himself, King Jesus, but those who rule and reign with him will be those who suffered for him faithfully in life and they will be in glorified bodies. What a day that will be. We've gotten a couple of glimpses of what it means when Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but there's more. Remember, only God knows the future with 100% certainty. You still have never read the headline, Fortune Teller Wins Lotto. Uh, Only God knows the future with 100% certainty, and God has given us some insight into some things that are going to happen in the future, and one of those is the coming 1,000-year kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it, in addition to the things we've talked about, that will make that kingdom unique and special? If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight, please, in honor of God's Word. We're just on our third part of the kingdom of God. In Isaiah chapter 11, we begin to read in verse 6. Isaiah 11, 6 says, "...the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb." And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. And the sucking child shall play in the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. Thank you, might be seated. See, the first thing that we learn for tonight that will characterize Christ's kingdom is that the curse on the animal kingdom will be lifted. You see, it will not just be external peace among men and nations in Christ's kingdom. The animal kingdom will be at peace too. Now, some of you here tonight are familiar with the curse that came upon the earth when Adam and Eve chose to willfully defy God's one commandment in their life. And because of Adam and Eve's willful defiance of God, death entered to the world and sin entered the world when they broke God's commandment. And as a result of their rebellion, in addition to death entering into the world, the ground was cursed and it would no longer produce as fruitfully as it once did. Uh, Childbirth became difficult for women, uh, much more so than it would have been prior to that, and the husband-wife relationship also changed. In fact, everything changed in some way when sin entered in our world. But you see, in the future kingdom, it will not just be nations that will be at peace. Predators and prey will live together in peace also. Did you catch all the predator-prey relationship we just read about in verse 6? It was the wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the kid, and that, of course, is a baby goat, the calf, And the young lion uh, and a little child shall lead them. And then verse 7, the cow and the bear, predator and prey, all led around by a little child. By the way, this is a commonly abused Bible verse. I've heard people stand up and say or or preach, listen, the Bible says a child shall lead them, and a, a child will be the one to influence all these adults to be saved. Hey, listen, children do sometimes influence parents and adults to be saved. But that is not what this is teaching. It has nothing to do with this whatsoever. 
What he's teaching us there is very simply that the nature of animals in Christ's kingdom will change such that there will be no danger any longer to children and a child will be able to leave those predators around safely unlike what they're able to do right now. Notice also in the end of verse 7 that the diet of animals will change as well. The lion shall eat straw like an ox and many of you if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, prior to man's sin, uh, all animals were vegetarians. And that will return uh, in Christ's kingdom. And in verse 8, notice the danger from poisonous snakes is also uh, no longer an issue. And a child can play on the den of an asp, which is a poisonous viper. And a cockatrice is a mythical creature uh, that is allegedly hatched from the egg of a rooster who can kill people with a gaze. And it is used here symbolically to say that basically the most deadly of any serpent uh, will no longer be deadly even to a little child. What a day when the animal kingdom will be at peace and survival among nature will no longer be by tooth and claw. Uh, am I the only one that just would love to pet a tiger? You know, I mean, I guess we all have some of some wild things that we think, man, I'd like to be in there, get close to that. Uh, you know, I, I just love a tiger or a leopard. There's to me, they're cool animals. And, and in that day, you know what? They are no longer going to be like they are now. Uh, you see, when death entered the world, when sin entered the world, all the animals changed as well, and the original diet will be restored in Christ's kingdom. In fact, if we were to turn there in Romans 8, 22, it says, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. You see, in Christ's kingdom, the creation will no longer be travailing, and Jesus will restore that which he did not take away. I don't think you and I can even comprehend what the world was like when God had made it and concluded that it was very good, the world into which God placed Adam and Eve. I don't think we can even comprehend its beauty and its intricacy and everything that was ruined by their terrible choice for mankind, therefore, from that point on. The kingdom of God is a literal, physical kingdom where the curse upon the animal kingdom will be lifted. Imagine what that will be like. And that's a part of what Jesus was talking about when he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it isn't just that the kingdom of Christ, his coming kingdom, will be characterized by peace in the animal kingdom. Uh, secondly, the truth of God will be common knowledge in his kingdom. Notice the next verse there in Isaiah 11 in verse 9. It says, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Now remember, when mountain is used symbolically in the Bible, it's speaking about a kingdom. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. By the way, 72 or 3% of our planet is covered by water right now. I mean, and the knowledge of God in that day will prevail just like the waters prevail over the seas today. Now we have spoken already as we have talked and discussed this coming kingdom of how the Jewish temple will be rebuilt and how it will become the center of worship in that day. And remember... 
in that day, as the uh, seven-year tribulation closes for the final judgment of mortal people, they'll be all brought together for, for, for that judgment. You remember that from, from Matthew. And so all the world's human population will be in and around Jerusalem in, in some way in that time. And we've talked about the great east-west valley that will be uh, happen when Christ lands in the Mount of Olives and splits it on his return. And here, uh, in a moment, we're going to see something more about what happens when he splits that mountain. But for right now, we're talking about the fact that the knowledge of God will be common knowledge. Now to me, and you may or may not agree with this, one of the most difficult things of the day in which God has placed us is that there's so much variety among what people claim to be from God. Uh, people claim all kinds of things to be from God, and to me it's very frustrating. It's very difficult because two contrary things cannot both be true. I mean, fact of the matter is, is God chose you and I for a day and age when there is a lot of false information. I, I think it's very hard for someone who's new to the Bible to understand what the Scriptures teach and to know who to trust. I, when I was saved 39 years ago as a 24-year-old man, I, I mean, I didn't know anything really about the Bible. I didn't know anything about the history of biblical Christians. I didn't know anything really about uh, what God had done in history through Bible-believing people. I, I didn't know who to trust. I didn't know what to believe. And I thank God for people He put in my life. But I think it's very difficult in our day and age to know who to trust. You see, with a chained devil and truly false prophets likely put to death under the iron rod of King Jesus, truth will abound. Truth will be common knowledge and readily available. Won't that be a great day? Amen. (laughs) Listen, no one will blame their behavior on their ignorance in that day. Truth will be available to all the earth. Uh, By the way, in part, truth will be common knowledge because the kingdom begins with all saved people. And so everybody at the beginning of that kingdom will be able to tell someone what Jesus did for them. Uh, By the way, if you cannot say what Jesus did for you, you probably need to get saved. But in that day, the knowledge of God will be common knowledge because everybody will be saved to begin that kingdom. And in part, that will be because uh, those who rule and reign with Christ will be knowledgeable people in glorified bodies who are saved prior to uh, all of that kingdom. There will be no false prophets. There will be no false religions. There will be no more arguments about religion without a conclusion. There will be no conflict over what is truth. There will be no more wars over religion. There will be no ecumenical movement trying to pretend there are no differences on major issues like who God is or what He wants. There will be no jihad. There will be no inquisition of true believers. There will be no crusades forcing false religion on anyone. No one in that day will say, well, that's just your interpretation. And if someone does say that, it will be easy to settle what's right and which interpretation matches God's intention. There will be only one version of the Bible in English. (laughs) There will only be one version of the Bible in every language for that matter. Truth will be clear. There will be no more divisions over doctrine or people ignorantly standing up and saying doctrine doesn't matter. Listen, Satan will no longer be posing as an angel of light to deceive those who are sincere. 
His devils, the fallen angels who are loyal to Him, will no longer be posing as ministers of righteousness since they will likely be locked away as well. Jesus Himself will rule both government and religion with a rod of iron, though man will still have plenty of his own opinions. And though I lament how muddy the devil and man has made the water of truth today, Please hear me when I say this. I believe God has made truth available to anyone who really wants to know it. If you do not know the truth, it is because in some way you've willfully rejected it. You may have a reason. You may blame your parents. You may blame your church. You may blame Christian leaders. You may blame our society. You may have all kinds of reasons. But there, I do not believe there's a single human being who will ever look at God and say, I didn't have an opportunity to learn of you. In that day, <laughs> the knowledge of God will be common knowledge. Imagine a day when everyone knows the truth about Jesus. And that's part of what he meant when he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That isn't all that he meant. Go next in your Bible, please, Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. By the way, on Sunday nights, yeah, this is meat of God's Word. Uh, Sunday mornings, it's more some milk, a little bit of meat. When we come back on Sunday night, I want, I want to address our congregation. And that's what we're doing. What is the kingdom like for which Christ taught us to pray? Here's number three. The earth will be renewed from the devastation of the tribulation. Now we're going to read a little bit longer passage than, than usual. We've already talked about the Jewish temple being rebuilt. And this is going to describe in some more detail, uh, some aspects of what will be around the temple. Uh, From Ezekiel, I think, 40 to 48, it is all about the kingdom temple. But in chapter 47 and verse 1, it says, Afterward, he brought me again under the door of the house. Behold, water is issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without under the utter gate by the way uh, that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits. And he brought me through the waters and the waters were to uh, the ankles. By the way, a thousand cubits is about a third of a mile. Verse four, and again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters and the waters were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through, and the waters were to the loins. And afterwards, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brim of the river. And now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. By the way, as we're going on, if you're familiar with uh, the description of heaven, and we'll talk about this more in, in a couple of weeks if uh, the Lord tarries. Uh, there's a lot of this that just models what the new Jerusalem is going to look like. Verse 8, and then he said unto me, these waters issued out toward the east country. Go down into the desert, 
and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live, and there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, and they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall... By, by the way, I'm going fishing in the kingdom. It shall come to pass the fishers shall stand upon it from en even to en They shall be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds as the fish of the great sea exceeding many. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. Uh, they shall be given to salt. And by the river upon the bank thereof and on this side and on that side shall grow all trees for meat whose leaves shall not fade. Neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall be uh, bring forth new fruit according to the months because the waters they issued out of the sanctuary and the fruit thereof shall be for meat and the leaf uh, thereof for medicine. By the way, obviously there's still sickness in the kingdom or you wouldn't need medicine. By the way, obviously people are still eating minimally fish in the kingdom because there's fishers. And you don't catch fish by net just for fun. You catch fish by net to eat. And this little picture here of this kingdom temple, uh, re remember the condition of the earth at the end of the tribulation. I mean, we, we study this in some uh, kind of detail, and whether it was flaming meteors or things that corrupted the fresh water, food source, or water sources, or whether it was other plagues that God sent, or the great wars and battles of the tribulation uh, inspired by the Antichrist. Listen, the earth is going to be basically devastated, and especially the Middle East and Asia and Europe and North Africa and that area around the, uh, Jerusalem in one direction or, or another. Uh, here we just read about God restoring it uh, from the water that flows from His temple. Uh, it will flow from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean Sea to the west. It will flow to the east to the Persian Gulf. And you may remember reading a few weeks ago from Zechariah 14.8, living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea, and summer and winter shall it be. Listen, this water all originates from Jerusalem and this new temple, and God is going to restore through this river and ultimately the sea the things that were destroyed in tribulation. This will completely change the desert that is east of Israel today. We don't have time to turn there tonight, but in Isaiah 30, verses 25 and 26, light from the sun and moon will increase and cause the earth to be more fruitful and warmer. Uh, by the way, am I the only one who gets weary of everybody talking about uh, how it's so devastating for our climate to be warmer? Listen, our climate has been warming since the last ice age. Amen. Duh. Uh, in a kingdom... Uh, God is going to cause the sun and moon to both be more powerful and that will make plants grow more quickly and it also will raise the temperature of the earth. In Isaiah 35, 1 and 2, the desert will blossom as a rose. In Isaiah 35, 7, the parched ground of Palestine will have springs of water with grass and reeds and rushes. In Ezekiel 34, just that's close, turn back a few pages to that in Ezekiel 34. 
I know for those of you who are Bible readers, we sometimes we get bogged down when we're reading through Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and, and God. He actually has a lot to say that's important. Uh, some of it is a little harder to sort through than others, but we're sorting through a little bit of it at tonight, uh, but there will be an abundance of rainfall, especially in the Middle East. In Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 24, we read these words, Ezekiel 34, 24, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant, David, he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and well, well, I read the wrong verse, I'm sorry, verse 24, and I, the Lord, will be their God, my servant, David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will make with them a covenant of peace, and will cause the evil beasts to cease out of the land, and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods, and I will make them in the places round about my hill a blessing, and I will cause the shower to come down in his season. There shall be showers of blessing. By the way, ever remember singing that song? There shall be showers of blessing. And what that is actually speaking about is the blessings of the rainfall in the kingdom of Christ. Verse 27, And the tree of the field shall yield her fruit, the earth shall yield her increase, and they shall be safe in their land, and shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them out of the hand of those that serve themselves of them. And they shall no more be a prey to the heathen, neither shall the beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and none shall make them uh, afraid." Uh, this coming kingdom, this literal, physical kingdom, will be renewed to be fruitful like it was before the curse. I mean, imagine a time when the earth is fully fruitful. Imagine a time when the desert blossoms and water from both rain and the water that flows from the temple bring life to everything and everyone. That's a part of what Jesus meant when He taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, to learn about this kingdom, this kingdom filled with truth and justice and peace among man and beast, it begins to fulfill a dream in every human heart. But a lot of people think that under these ideal circumstances, that all the world would decide to obey and follow and love Jesus Christ. But those who think that underestimate the darkness of the human heart. There's a reason that people, though it has failed at every point in history, continue to try things like socialism and communism. And the reason they keep trying them is they fail to properly look at the darkness of the heart of mankind. See, a lot of people think we have criminals and addicts and rebels against God because of bad churches and church leaders, bad homes, bad neighborhoods, and flaws in our leaders and government instead of the fallen heart of man. But as we consider this coming kingdom, man's overestimation of himself and his own pride and the darkness of the heart of mankind is clearly exposed when we ask this simple question, how does this unique and unparalleled kingdom end? This time when everyone would describe what's going on as ideal circumstances. The devil is chained and, and so are likely those fallen angels who are loyal to him. There's no more false religion. There's, uh, that's gone. 
There's no more issues with government. King Jesus is reigning. And those who suffered for him in life are ruling and reigning with him. I mean, everybody, all those issues are gone. How will this coming kingdom end? It's a great question. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, lastly tonight, number four, this unparalleled kingdom will, lead, will end in rebellion that God puts down himself. Revelation chapter 20, verse seven. When a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Notice the number of people willing to follow the devil as this kingdom ends. Verse 9 says, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of saints round about, camp of the saints about, and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. This future kingdom will have a perfect king and flawless people reigning with him. Yet it ends in rebellion against God. This future kingdom begins with all believers and still some of their children growing up in what everyone would consider to be an ideal environment will rebel against Jesus Christ even though perfect knowledge of him will be available. Two of the three main enemies of every believer are gone. Remember the three enemies of every believer? The world, the devil, and our flesh. The devil is chained. The world is led by King Jesus. And the only enemy for man left is really within himself. In that day, no one will blame their unbelief and sin in the corrupt world and ignorance of God. And that day, no one will be able to blame their rebellion against God on Satan or the failures of church leaders or their parents. Hear me when I say man's problems have never really been the clarity of the Bible or multiplication of versions. The man's problem has never been the hypocrisy in the church and failures of spiritual leaders to model faith. Man's problem has never really been the corruption in society or how influential Satan is in our world. The devil has not really ever made anyone do anything. Man's problem has never been anything other than his own heart. A heart that the Bible describes in Jeremiah as being desperately wicked and deceitful. A rebellion that is so large in its scale that the rebels number as the sand of the sea from verse 8. And understand this when I say Satan doesn't produce this rebellion. This rebellion already existed in people's heart. And Satan just steps up to lead people to do what they already wanted to do already. You say, who are these rebels? But Isaiah 65. And we'll wrap it up. And I know you can say amen right there. Thank you, Joe. You can always count on your support, brother. Who are these rebels? By the way, the Bible 
seems to indicate they're all people who are under 100 years old. <laughs> because as we're going to read in a second, uh, it seems like the, age, the lifespan of people in Christ's kingdom is going to be greatly enlarged, maybe even like it was prior to Noah's flood. The Bible describes their lifespan, we're going to read in a moment, like a tree. As we read this, what it seems to indicate is that in Christ's kingdom, you have a hundred years. And if you don't choose to personally believe, receive, and trust Jesus as Savior to forgive your sins at a hundred, your opportunity ends. By the way, everyone's opportunity to turn to Christ ends. But in the kingdom, it seems to put a number on that. In Isaiah 65, verse 19, it says, And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. The child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being an hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And they shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Who are these rebels? A group that likely numbers in the hundreds of millions likened unto the sand of the sea, which is one of the ways the Bible expresses an innumerable number of people. Who are they? People who are under 100, relatively young for that time, who will not want to believe. Truth will be available, but they won't be interested. They will be sick and tired of King Jesus enforcing righteousness and justice and holiness in his kingdom. By the way, there will be no option. Not like today. We live in a day of grace. In the day of Christ's kingdom, it's going to be different. There will be people who will not want those things, and they will refuse to offer the sacrifice that pictures the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus for their sins. You see, people then, just like people now, must make a personal choice. Everybody then, just like everybody in history, has had to decide whether they will humbly believe or not. And in our days, it is to humbly believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And just like the tribulation ends in the valley of Megiddo, when nations and hundreds of millions of people in that surrounding area assemble to fight against the Lord and His Christ, despite how foolishness it is to fight against God, people in that day with full knowledge of who God is, full knowledge of what the Bible says is going to happen, they are still, in the hardness of their heart, going to shake their fist at their Creator and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Christ's kingdom ends, though it does not paint you and I in a very good light, man will have demonstrated himself to be a rebel against his creator and righteousness in every condition. Man has never wanted to live under the authority of God. Do you, do you realize why people are atheists today and why people believe in evolution today? It has nothing to do with the facts. 
The Bible says a fool has said in his heart there is no God because all of creation in its intricacy and beauty and power bears witness to a creator and his power and his Godhead. All of creation bears witness to his existence. People are atheists and people are agnostics and people want nothing to do with the Bible because they do not want God's authority in their life. They want to do what they want to do. They want their life to be their own. Fact is, everyone here is as good of a Christian and as faithful to Christ as you really want to be. And we may not like it, but if our circumstances were better, we'd be the very same or even worse. You may not agree with this, but I personally believe that God places every human soul in the best possible circumstance for them to choose Christ as Savior and to follow Him with their life whether that is in the gutter in India, the frontiers of America in the 1700s, or in the knowledgeable but fallen, broken, dark world in which He placed us today. You and I are here on purpose. Man failed in the Garden of Eden's beauty and simplicity and innocence. Man failed in Noah's day of freedom without the law. Man failed in Moses' day of clear laws and clear, meticulous religious instruction from God. Man failed with the living Christ teaching among them and doing great miracles. Man is failing today following Christ's death and resurrection, though we hold a complete revelation from God in our hands and live in the day of grace. Man will fail when two witnesses preach truth and two witnesses preach lies in the coming seven-year tribulation. And man will fail in Christ's kingdom. A time when what is written will have been more obviously true than ever before. A time with good leadership, good examples, available truth, world peace, and a chained devil. And though you and I cannot stand it because it exposes who we really are, you and I, by our very nature, apart from God changing our heart, will spoil, ruin, and rebel against everything that is good and right. And though I do place some trust and follow man, if you place too much trust and follow man too much, I don't care who it is, you will always end up hurt and disappointed to a degree. And though I trust human leadership and follow it to a degree, I only believe and fully trust in Jesus. Amen. He, and He alone, is worthy of our trust. The conclusion of Christ's kingdom, however, ending in rebellion brings up a good question. What happens next? With that, it's for another time. You quietly stand.